Hello and welcome to this episode of Special Advising No Parent Left Behind. Coming to you with Sniffles, I'm your host, Mark Ingracia, and I have over 34 years of experience as a classroom teacher, parent, coach, and advocate. This is a podcast for parents and caregivers of children along the spectrum of disabilities, but welcomes everyone interested in learning about topics from the world of exceptional needs, educational services, health and wellness, fitness, nutrition for you and your child, and more. Thank you so much for joining me. And if you like the show, please subscribe, like, or comment, and tell your friends about it. Today, I'd like to speak to the language challenge inherent to parenting, negative versus positive word choices, and their impact on your child, and then explore the struggle for parents of disabled kids to say no, not only to their children, but to the demands or asks that overextend and tax them in and apart from their family. Can a parent be comfortable saying no when their gut tells them it's the right, preferred, or healthier choice? After that, stay tuned for a tip of the cap, your exceptional needs parenting tip, followed by your good news community share. And for an extra resource to help inform your journey, visit the resource page of my website, specialadvising.com. So let's muster up our inner truth and respond to another win. When I work with new parents, one of the first things I address with them is how we can change our word choices when speaking with our children so they are less negative. For example, getting rid of words like wrong, bad, stop, don't, and no. Quoting an article entitled, Positive Language Helps Build the Parent-Child Relationship, using a negative language with a child does not help him improve in any way. It only brings down his self-esteem, causing him to feel unsure of himself and confused. On the other hand, using positive language enables him to understand what is expected of him and makes him more willing to cooperate. Many studies support this, and I can attest to it from first-hand experience, and I believe it to be true. I haven't studied this, so take it for what it is, my impressions. When I say most of us were, were probably raised by parents who understood reactionary parenting, that enforced or reinforced their authority. And they were most likely raised by parents practicing the same philosophy, and their language was shaped by that understanding. It feels like human nature, generally, tends to lean towards this reactionary practice, one that expresses emotions in knee-jerk fashion, which can result in instinctively lashing out in disapproval over something unappreciated or distasteful, accompanied by the language that follows, which is, on average, going to be negative. The ability to stop and think before reacting, that space between stimulus and response, is not taught, generally, and therefore, unless an individual seeks out an alternative, there's no reason to imagine there exists a better alternative to what they practice. It can be difficult to convince some people that any other way could be more effective in the end. Recognition of the ineffectiveness of using negative language must come first, and sometimes That occurs out of desperation, sheer luck, or desire to learn and improve. Every day we are inundated with negatives and surrounded by stories of outrageous, intentionally harmful acts, schemes, and lies of others. We're fed stories of angry people frustrated by their jobs or lack of jobs, their failures, their bad experiences, their dislike for others, etc. That can color perspectives with the consequence of being taught, even incidentally, to react negatively when someone, 
Your child, for example, is not doing something we ask of them or we perceive to be wrong or unacceptable. It can become part of our DNA and have disastrous results for our children. However, I have found that parents who are able to change their thinking on this do discover an easier time relating with their children. Of course, there are exceptions, such as emergencies or when dangerous situations present themselves. A strong stop or don't or wrong can be necessary. But what I'm speaking about here is the use of language in our everyday interactions with others. And I believe that when a parent considers the concept of changing their parenting paradigm, it can generate an inflection point for them in how they approach both the language of discipline and basic conversation. I'll never forget the time that I was driving with my dad. I may have been around 12 or 13. And he said something to the effect of, why are you doing something stupid like that? Which I heard as an implication. So I answered with, why are you calling me stupid? To which he reacted by saying, I'm not calling you stupid. To which I said, but if you say what I'm doing is stupid, then you must be saying that I'm stupid. Maybe I had a point, and maybe it's a young boy's interpretation of semantics, but it doesn't matter because how the 12-year-old me took that was to believe that my father thought I was stupid. That was the result, and if my dad wasn't going to recognize that, which he didn't admit to, he wasn't going to be able to repair the damage done with that one sentence. And because that's how he parented, there would be other times when that belief was reinforced. What was worse for me was that he could flip the script and tell me that no one was better than me and, and build me up to such unrealistic heights of greatness that when put together would naturally spin a kid's head and mess them up as to who they actually believe themselves to be. And this is what we can do as parents and as authority figures to our children. Lack of clarity, mixed messages, inconsistent communication, immovable belief systems, unwavering fealty to the authoritarian style of parenting, and we risk losing our kids. These can be the kind of parents who say no too often, which may limit their child's experiences in life. And then there is the opposite, the parent pleaser, the one who struggles between being the respected authority and the wannabe friend, often acquiescing to the latter. The parent type that can't say no for fear of losing their child's love, or even more importantly, their like. This can lead to other problems that can mount and grow for children, actualizing as a lack of respect for authority and a child who knows no boundaries, and that can be a scary place. This can result in lashing out, acting out, emotional problems, growing up believing they are entitled, actually feeling unsafe, making decisions in the future based on trying to please others, and more. I want to propose the possibility of using positive, reassuring language with your child while still feeling comfortable saying no. Saying no offers your child the chance to understand the word in a safe way. If, when you do so, you give your reasons for it, allowing your child to base the no on something relatable and not just a definitive no which can be confusing. Why no? I, I, I want it. Shouldn't that be enough? Or it can be a negative implication on your child that they're doing something wrong. And maybe they are, but they may not understand it. Verywell.com suggests this. It says, offer a short explanation. A short explanation about why you're saying no can turn your refusal into a learning experience. Saying no, you 
can't jump into the pool without your life jacket, without an explanation isn't helpful. Your child may think, I can't do that because my mom is mean, without recognizing the potential danger. Try saying something like, no, you can't jump into the pool without your life jacket because you're not a strong enough swimmer to swim all the way to the other end of the pool without a life jacket yet. When your child understands the reason behind your answer, he may be less likely to take the risk when you're not there to tell him no. They continue, no matter how much whining, begging, or pleading your child does, don't give in. Changing your no to a yes will only reinforce to your child that you don't really mean what you say. Even when you hear things like, but everyone else gets to do that, or you're so mean, I hate you, don't go back on your word. Remind your child, I love you, and that's my rule, and discontinue the conversation. Ignore mild grumbling and avoid arguing about your answer. Refuse to engage in a heated discussion and don't get into any power struggles. When you've established a healthy balance of explaining your reasons for the no's mixed with the yeses that allow for experiencing life in safe ways, your child will most likely respond more regularly without complaint when they receive a no. When you're parenting a disabled child, there may be a tendency to go strong to the hoop in one of two directions. First, as a parent style that may not want to discipline for fear that there are enough struggles in life and by giving in to the child, at least they have something they can feel good about, that something being or doing whatever they want. I've seen this and it can lead to problems in adulthood when it comes time for your child, now an adult, to listen to someone other than yourself. The other parent style is to expect or demand more than the children are able to give or comprehend because you don't want them to feel different or you don't want them treated differently. When you look at this latter one from the perspective of who your child is as a unique individual, being treated for who they are is not being treated differently. It is taking into consideration what they need to function and adapting environments, materials, and logistics to afford them the best opportunity to succeed and enjoy an experience. In other words, to be themselves. As for the former, not wanting to discipline your child, you're not giving your child the credit that the degree of skills they possess will be enough to make them happy if they are sufficiently encouraged. Both of these can be projections of your fears, very real and natural. But is that helping your child to grow? I believe that clear communication of feelings, yours and theirs, structure, communication with explanations via words, pictures, or both, and realistic expectations with boundaries that both keep your child safe yet afford them the chance to learn and discover is a good balance for disciplining and guiding your kids. Using positive language respects them as individuals and the return will likely be mutual respect. There's another no that I want to address and that's your, your ability to say no to someone or something that doesn't feel right to you. Are you the kind who says yes to requests, favors, play dates, PTA positions, etc., when your gut is saying no for whatever reason, possibly ruled by the underlying premise that your parenting is all-encompassing, sometimes overwhelming, and bottom line exhausting? You have to know your limitations and choose to do what works for you and your family. There's no guilt, I believe, without intention, and if you feel badly about saying, for example, no to helping out at your child's school for a fundraiser, but the reason you're saying no is that you don't have any more to give, then you need to do that for yourself. You need to say no. We allow our conscience to put pressure on us 
but we only need answer for when we are being dishonest or mistreating others. All decisions made with an honest, I can't right now, are acceptable. And you would help yourself by knowing that and giving yourself that gift of doing what's right for you in a moment. I've said yes to many things that I didn't really want to do, and by doing that, I give up some of myself. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with extending yourself for others. For me, that gives me true meaning in life. However, it has to fit with what you can honestly do and still be the most impactful and supportive parent to your children. Do what you can now and know that there may be more times to give of yourself later on. Some scenarios call for your advocacy for your child. And it's okay to say no, as expressed in an article from TheMighty.com, Learning to Say No as the Parent of a Child with a Disability by Nicole Garcia. It's okay to say, no, that doesn't work for us. No, that doesn't help my son best. No, he will not do that the way you do it. No, those accommodations don't quite meet his needs yet. No, we cannot attend that regular social gathering. No, it's not okay to talk about him like he's not here and doesn't hear you. No, we likely won't stay for the entirety of the event. No, he might not look you in the eyes. No, he probably cannot stay still or quiet for that long. And no, he does not learn that way. Creating boundaries that work for you is the most important thing you can do for yourself and your child. Try saying no on for size and see how it feels. It's time now for a tip of the cap, your exceptional needs parenting tip. Today's tip comes from parentmap.com. Appreciate that things improve with time. Your child's prognosis may not improve. His or her condition may be debilitating and deteriorating. And these are hard, hard things. But some things do get easier with time. Time, for better or worse, means more experience, more patience, and greater perspective. Today's Good News Community Share comes from DisabilityScoop.com entitled, Caregivers of Adult Children with Disabilities May Qualify for Time Off Work, Fed Says. Federal officials are introducing a variety of new resources to help family caregivers who need time away from work to support an adult child with a disability. The U.S. Department of Labor has launched a web page with fact sheets, frequently asked questions, and other materials to help workers know their rights under the Family and Medical Leave Act, with a special focus on how it applies to disability caregivers. The 30-year-old law entitles many employees to take unpaid leave without the risk of losing their job or their health benefits in order to care for a family member. That could include adult children with disabilities under certain circumstances. Employees may use FMLA leave to care for an adult child with a serious health condition who is incapable of self-care at the time the FMLA leave will start because of a mental or physical disability. Taryn M. Williams, Assistant Secretary for Disability Employment Policy at the Labor Department, said, Workers shouldn't have to choose between their job and managing a serious health condition, nor should they have to choose between their job and caring for a loved one with a serious health condition.
I want to thank you again for listening to this episode, and I hope you'll join me each week to hear about topics new to you or close to your heart. I hope this podcast might inspire you to face your days more confidently, stirring a greater sense of self-love, mindfulness, an outpouring of goodness and positive role modeling for your children, while remembering to attend to the areas of your own mental, physical, and, if you're inclined, spiritual health, enabling you to be all you hope to be for them. All music heard on today's show comes from Jason Shaw at audionautics.com. Remember to follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Special Ed Rising, and on my website, specialedrising.com. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to rate and review the show wherever you get your podcasts, and tell your friends. You can contact me directly with questions, comments, or if you're interested in parent coaching through my email, specialedrising at gmail.com, or my contact pages on Facebook or my website. If you'd like to share some of your success stories with the audience, please send them to my email. Let's show the world what's possible. Also, let me know if there's anything you'd like to learn more about. And until next time, peace and keep rising. Music